Open your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Three weeks ago, we learned from the Word of God about the love of God for sinners. Today, we'll look at what God's Word has to teach us about the love of God for His children. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1, see what manner or what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we would be called children of God, and we are. Father, we are utterly dependent on you through the power of your Spirit, through the work of your Spirit, to open our eyes to what you have to say out of your word concerning your love for your children. So we pray that you would make clear what you say, and you would cause everybody to forget anything foolish I might say. Glorify yourself. Glorify our Lord Jesus Christ in you. Lord And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do the work of glorifying our Father in our eyes today because of his great love for his children. We ask this because we are yours in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hmm. What manner of love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God. Children of God. How do we become children of God? Those of us who are the children of God are those of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, have trusted Him as our all-sufficient Savior, and have worshipped Him as Emmanuel, God with us. God become one of us. God become a human being in the flesh. We are God's children by adoption. He has only one Son that's been generated out of Himself. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are adopted by God. And Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, you can read this later, tells us that we were adopted by God when we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our all-sufficient Savior from the wrath of God. Mm. John's amazed that God would not only save us sinners by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that God would adopt us by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Adopt us. We who formerly were his enemies. We who treated him with contempt. We who had, nothing, had wanted to do nothing with him. He has adopted us as his children. <laughs> and he says with astonishment, what kind of love is this? Literally, From what country is this? Or what sort of alien, unearthly love is this? Now, we know that the word love here is agape, because I taught you that three weeks ago. But you've forgotten what I taught you three weeks ago, so I'm very briefly going to remind us what this word means. The word agape, God's kind of love, is radically different from what we as 21st century Americans would call love. 
Our sort of love is a strong emotional response to what we find attractive in that which we love. It's a feeling. Love is a feeling. And it's used so broadly among us that it's almost meaningless. I mean, you think about it. We love our spouse. We love our children. We love our dog. We love Shirley's yeast rolls. (laughs) And we love Jesus. We love all these things because they're so attractive to us and they're so delightful to us. You love Jesus the same way you love your wife? I hope not. You love Jesus the same way you love your dog? I hope not. And in contrast to this sloppy, amorphous, emotionally driven feeling that we call love, God's love, agape, is definite and it's permanent. It's a willful determination to seek and to do that which is best for the object of that love, even if it's costly and if that love is not returned. We know it's a willful determination and and not a mere emotion because Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 44 to love our enemies. And there's nothing in our enemies that we find attractive. I mean, just think about it. If you were an Israeli Christian today and your daughter had been raped and beheaded by monsters of iniquity, what is there attractive about Hamas and yet the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us love your enemies it certainly can't be then some kind of warm mushy emotional feeling toward it must be that he commands us to willfully determine to seek what is best for them and you know where where I'm going with that we know that it's permanent It doesn't fade, it doesn't disappear, because 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. The word fails there means it never passes away. It never loses its power. Mm. So, 21st century American love is driven by emotion. It's a response to something that's outside of us. God's agape, however, springs from within himself. It's not a response to anything. It's driven by his own gracious purpose from within himself. Martin Luther said, God's love does not find, but rather creates what is lovely to it. Mm. And when it comes to his adopted children, God loved us even when we were lost, when we were his enemies. Uh, You know where I'm going. Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And it's while we were that, even before we were that, God loved us. 
He determined to convert us and to adopt us even before he created us. Mm. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God loved us in spite of what we were and in spite of what we still are. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, He willfully set His love on us. He didn't respond to how lovely we were. He willfully set His love on us. He gave up His own Son to suffer the wrath that we deserve, to pay the sin debt that we have in full, removing every obstacle from reconciling us to Himself. He kept enduring our ongoing rebellion and contempt for him when we were lost. In his self-controlled agape, he didn't crush us like cockroaches, which is what we deserved. He kept preserving our lives while we were his enemies. He made sure that we heard the good news of salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we still didn't want it, he sovereignly gave us a new heart so we would believe his good news and so that we would put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he justified us, declared us right for him, with himself, and adopted us as his own children. What kind of love is this? What alien sort of love is this? And 1 John 3, 1 says, See what manner of love the Father has given to us. He gave us this love. Freely. Determinately, He gave us this love. Now, some of you may have been in a situation where you had to earn love. That if you came up to a standard, if you came up to expectations, then I'll love you. No, that's not love. And that's the way, not the way God dealt with us. He freely gave us his love while we were still sinners. Hmm. God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> what kind of love is this? Well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not indulgent. And this is where you have to endure the morning rant. <laughs> There's a great curse in our affluence country, and that great curse is indulgent parents. They indulge their spawn's sins, especially their spawn's defiance. And they say, it's because I love them. Folks, that's not love. That's hate. Proverbs 13, 24 says, he who holds back his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. My dad believed that <laughs> because he loved me. And he was determined I was going to grow up to be a human being and not some monster. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother and a prison sentence. The curse that we have is that too many indulgent parents today are too lazy to actually raise and discipline their children. I remember a lady that I worked with and she brought her daughter to work one day. Don't ever do that. <laughs> You're being paid to make money for your employer, 
not to impose your little monster of iniquity on everybody else that's trying to work. You know? And this kid was in everybody's desk. And, I mean, it was just... And I finally said, uh, you know, if you want to borrow my belt... And she said, oh, I could never hit my child. I said, I didn't say hit the child. I said, spank your child. Get this kid under control. But they're too lazy to actually discipline their children. They love their own comfort and their own self-indulgence more than their children. And their self-serving sorriness leaves their depraved children to grow unrestrained into monsters of iniquity. Mm. God's love's not like that. God loves. God does not say, "I just love you too much to discipline you." <laughs> no, His love molds us into the image of His Son. Yeah, He molds us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ through instruction and correction, including pain when we refuse His correction. Hebrews 12.5 says, My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges or flogs every son he receives. What does that mean? That means God will spank you if he, if he needs to, to conform you into the image of his son. You see, it normally starts out like this. We foolishly sin. We foolishly rebel. You think, I think I have the right to say to you what I just said to you. And the Holy Spirit convicts me. And so if I'm corrected by that, and I repent of that, then that's fine. That's as far as it goes. But if I stiffen my neck, and I'm not corrected by that, then he turns up the discomfort. And if I stiffen my neck, and I'm still not corrected by that, then he just keeps turning up the discomfort and the pain until this foolish man listens and repents and is corrected. Uh, if you want to know how far God's willing to go to correct you and, and to bring you back to where you need to be, so you can be conformed to the image of his son, which is the very best that could ever happen to you. Read Leviticus chapter 26, verses 14 and following. It'll make you tremble. But God's willing to go there. Well, why is he willing to inflict pain on his children if necessary, to correct us. Is it because he hates us or he, he enjoys inflicting pain on us? And the answer, obviously, is no. I mean, we've already seen that from Hebrews chapter 12. He's already told us that he chastens those he loves. In Revelation 3.19, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Hmm. He does it for our good. Admit it. <laughs> We're still afflicted with the flesh, right? We still harbor what we call darling sins in our flesh. Sins that got such a hook on us when we were unconverted that they still hang in there. And we're having to constantly war against those sins because they're so sweet to our flesh. 
And sometimes, sometimes, we foolishly let that darling sin take dominion over us and start to rule us. And when that happens, God chastens. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, we're told that for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He will inflict pain in order to bring us to the point that we can be conformed to the image of his son. And I say it again. That's the very best good God could do for us to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to change gears. I'm not going to do what a woman does, which is do a 90-degree turn and not tell you. And then leave it up to you to try to figure out what just happened. We're changing gears. I want to put his love for his children in perspective. God truly loves his adopted children. We've already seen that. He gave up his only begotten son to save us and to adopt us. 1 John 4.10 says he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is the sacrifice that turns his wrath away from us. He loves his children, his adopted children. But his love for his only begotten son is on a different level. This is supreme love. He loves his son, his only begotten son, the son that came out of him with all of his heart. Now, I heard a preacher say one time, God loves you with all his heart. No, he doesn't. He loves his only begotten son with all his heart. There is no one more lovely in his sight than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the son who always does those things that are pleasing to his father. This is the son who is one with the father. The same essence with the father. The same heart, the same mind, the same affections as the father. This is the son who never once had a single rebellious impulse. Not even in Gethsemane. He asks, if it is your will, let this cup be taken from me. And then immediately follows it with, but not my will, but your will be done. The Lord Jesus Christ is the epicenter. He is the very center of his Father's love and delight. Twice, God the Father spoke out loud to men and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the Son, who out of his great love for his Father, went to the cross and purchased for his Father all those that his Father had chosen to adopt. Hmm. And the Father so loves his Son that Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created through him and for him. Everything that's been created was created for the Lord Jesus Christ. All the angels, all the seraphim, all the cherubim, the entire created physical universe with all of its billions of galaxies and billions of stars. We were created for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's why we exist. That's why we exist. That's why we're still alive. <laughs> mm. And he's given to his son. All those sinners that the son bought for the father as an inheritance. As a kingdom. And Romans, excuse me, Revelation chapter 7 describes that kingdom that the Father has given to His Son. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ bought. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has received now back from His Father. A great multitude which no one could count out of every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. Millions of sinners that have been converted through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't come back in the next 500 or 1,000 years, it'll be billions that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved through his blood. Billions of people to marvel at his son. To love his son. To delight in his son. To worship his son. Yeah. I said to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Lord Jesus tells us about the Father's purpose for His Son. He says, the purpose is that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. The word even as, or the two words even as there, are one Greek word, kathos. It means in the same way. So it's the Father's will that everyone should honor the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way they honor the Father. That means that everyone should worship the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that they worship God the Father. And he makes it plain again in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Paul tells us that after the Lord Jesus had so obeyed his Father had so loved his father that he had gone to the cross and that he had taken all the wrath that we deserve on ourselves. He had taken it on himself and he had bought us for his father so his father could cleanse us and could adopt us. That God the Father then gave him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every uh, tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we say, yes, God the Father determines that everyone should realize that Jesus Christ is Master. And that's true. But it's more than that. I want you to turn in your Bible. Isaiah chapter 45. Now, this is part of where we're going, so stick with me. Isaiah chapter 45, and look at verse 22. And some of you have this memorized. This is God. This is El Shaddai. This is Adonai. This is Yahweh. And Yahweh says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me, Yahweh, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Paul has paraphrased this passage. 
in Philippians chapter 2 when he says that every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the Father's love for his Son far exceeds any love he has for any of his creation? And yet, John chapter 17, verses 22 and 23 says, The glory which you have given me, this is Jesus speaking, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that is his disciples, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected or completed or finished in unity so that the world may know you sent me and that the world may know you loved me, you love, excuse me, you love them even as you love me. Let me say that again. That the world may know that you loved them even as you loved me, Kathos, that you love them in the same way you loved me. You say, Harry, you're contradicting yourself. No. You see, it's like this. If, you're, if you've received Jesus as your Lord, listen to what Jesus promised happened to you the moment you trusted him as your Lord to save you. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Literally, we will move in and indwell him. We'll settle down in him. Colossians 1, 27 like this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord, if you've trusted him, if you've given yourself to him, you are permanently, everlastingly, spiritually united with and indwelt by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You are spiritually one with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. So, when the Father looks at you, he sees his eternal, only begotten Son, permanently, everlastingly, inseparably, in, and one with his eternally chosen, redeemed, adopted, created child. And he loves you the same way he loves his only begotten son. Because you are united to his only begotten son. You are one with his only begotten son. So, when you're being conformed to the image of Christ, because you foolishly sin, and you find yourself in the fire, and under the hammer, and on the anvil, or when you're being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and you not sin, it's just that more sharpening needs to be done. 
that things that we're not even aware of need to be worked out. That maybe patience and long-suffering need to be refined more and more, and you find yourself in the fire and on the anvil and under the hammer. Don't think it's because God's mad with you. No, it's because he's determined that he's going to conform you into the image of his only begotten son. So you'll be just like Jesus in his perfect humanity. What kind of love is this? What kind of God is this? Now, I hope you understand you're never going to get away from the foolish notion of considering love the way we Americans consider love. It's always going to be a default. If you hear the word love, if you hear the word love being preached out of the word of God, if you heard the word love when Alan was reading it this morning out of the passage, our default is going to be to think of love as some emotional response to attractiveness that we find in another. And so you're never going to have any assurance of your salvation if you consider God's love to you like that. You never will. Because we fall in love, we fall out of love. Hmm. But if you see God's love as what it is, that's a willful determination to seek what is best for those that his son has bought for him. And if you see that his love for you is tied up in his love for his only begotten son. If you see that his love has more to do with his love for his son than it is for his love for me. Folks, that's the greatest source of assurance I could possibly think of. He loves me because I'm one with Christ. He loves me because he made me one with Christ. He loved me because the Lord Jesus Christ has bought me with his own blood. And the father so loves his son, he's determined his son is going to have a full count on the last day when the kingdom is established. And there's not going to be one missing. He is determined to keep you for his son because he loves his son. That's our assurance. Hang on to that. Our assurance in Christ is in Christ and in the Father's love for His Son. And because we are one with His Son, that's His love for us. Now, everything I've had to say so far this morning has been about God's love for His children. If you want to know about God's love for the lost, for sinners, then you go back and listen to the sermon from about three weeks ago. This is the kind of love that God has for his children. His children are those who have seen him as he is. We've seen ourselves as we are. And we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord. And we are constantly repenting. We're just, repentance is part of where we live every day. And if you've never deliberately trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord to forgive you, to rule over you, and to make you his, you're not one of his children. And this kind of love really doesn't apply to you. But it can. You can be one of his children today. In John chapter 1, God's word says, Jesus was in the world, 
and the world was made by him, and the world didn't know him. And he came unto his own people, and his own people didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to as many as trusted him, to as many as took him as their own, to as many as submitted themselves to him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to them that believe on his name, who were good Baptists. No. Who were good Jews. No. Who were good moral people. No. As many sinners as realized who we are by nature and received him as our only hope to them, to us. He gave the authority to become the children of God, even to us who believe on his name. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Brother.